0: As is tradition, and as is true, he is risen. Amen. That is a good thing. If you would, please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. It's the resurrection chapter. As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, today we gather on Easter to remember one of the central themes of our faith the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord from the dead, you know, without the resurrection, we have a dead faith an absolutely dead, worthless, miserable faith. And it's very important that we understand a little bit about the centrality of the resurrection to what we believe as Christians. You know, my, my dad was a uh, Vietnam, uh, medevac Huey pilot. And, uh, one of the things I remember when I was young, he described that the mechanics and the pilots would call this one part of the helicopter. They called it Jesus nut. You're like, not like, I'm a Jesus nut. No. The idea is that there's this one nut or in pen and bolt that holds on the rotor, the rotor holds on the blades. And so the Jesus nut held everything together without it, the helicopter go to catastrophic failure, the blades would fly off. Everybody dies. That's the idea. And so, so too is the resurrection to Christianity. So is resurrection to our faith. It is the Jesus nut, so to speak of our faith. Paul in first Corinthians uh, addresses this, the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because without the resurrection, we've just got another man-made religion, another man made religion, but Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting in verses 12 through 20 is kind of the part I'm going to focus on in the beginning here. Paul talks about the centrality of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Now, some of you might be sitting and go, Hey, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. What's what's so important about the resurrection? What's so important about Jesus dying and rising again? What's why is that significant? Paul, Paul lays this out because there was some heresy going on in the church, but verse 12 says now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? So there were people in the church saying, ah, there's no resurrection from the dead. I believe in Jesus, but that, that other stuff, nah, That's, that's kind of not there. And probably what had happened is, is there was either a misunderstanding, which happens, right? Um, But also there was probably false teaching was going on, which is what was going on. My guess is what was going on because the Sadducees, which were a sect of the Jews had, they didn't believe in afterlife and all that kind of stuff. But there was a, Paul wants to correct this. And so he says in verse 13, he starts speaking about the essentialness of the resurrection. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And Paul's going to make out several points of why it's important that the resurrection actually is. It's true and that we believe it. Uh, Paul points out first that there is, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus is not even raised from the dead. And so there's sometimes there's things that we can believe about Christianity and take from the culture. And we don't realize the implication of it has on our faith. For example, evolutionism, if we go, oh, well, death is a natural process that happens over time. I have an evolutionist. This is just death is a natural thing that came up. No, death is the result of sin. That's what the scriptures teach. If you believe that death is just a natural process that's happened in the world, you've got a, you've got an issue with what the scriptures teach. And that is at the core of what the scriptures teach about what sin is and why it comes about. And so Paul points out here that the resurrection of the dead, if there's no resurrection, Jesus didn't even raise from the dead. And so, and and if that's the case, what in the world where our preaching is in vain, our preaching is hollow, what we're all gathered to together doing, talking about, it's all hollow and your faith is hollow. It's in vain. You've got a dead, empty faith, and we've got dead, empty words because, well, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. In other words, if Christ has not been raised, we've been lying to you. We've been lying to you, and we've been misrepresenting God. But verse 16, and here's the main point that Paul wants to go as people start taking as people were taking the resurrection lightly in the church or weird doctrines about the resurrection. Here's the main point that Paul gets to verse 16, for if the dead are not raised and not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's empty. It's devoid of force. It's pointless. And you are still in your sin. You're still in your sin. No resurrection. You're still in your sin, in your sins, meaning you are dead in them. You are walking in them. You're not delivered from them. You're not saved from them. You're still accountable to God for all of them. You're headed towards the judgment seat of God. You see church, it isn't only that Christ died. Everyone dies. Christ's death was infinitely significant. Need to clear that up, right? I don't want to minimize the death of Christ, but without the resurrection, he died just like all of us. And Paul's going to you the reason of why we die and why Jesus was victor, had victorious over the death, over death. And so if Jesus died and didn't rise, this is just another man made religion. It's just another man-made religion. What we believe about who Christ is and what he did. It's all a lie. That's what it is. And not only for us, verse 18, Paul wants to clear up. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died, believing in Christ, they've perished and perished is the word means They don't have life. Uh, They died in their sins. They've perished. They're, they're awaiting the judgment of God. That's the idea there is the gist. And so there's no hope for you who are living. And there's definitely no hope for those who have passed away, believing in Christ. Verse 19. If in Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people. Most to be pity. Paul says without the resurrection, what in the world are we doing? Suffering like this. What are we doing preaching with this? Why are we denying ourselves? Why are we living the way we have? If there's no, if there's no future beyond this And that is the spirit of the age. Is it not? It's to tell you there is no tomorrow or create some kind of mystic weird thing that is not based in reality. And this is why the enemy focuses his attack upon the resurrection from the dead and our subsequent resurrection from Jesus's resurrection and ours. They attack the validity of Jesus Christ, even being a historical figure. And they definitely attack the fact that he rose from the dead. They don't believe it. And they will tell you and your kids that you are stupid and a lunatic. And you've got crazy thinking if you believe this, because it's not science or whatever it is. So the resurrection was under attack in Paul's day by false teachers and various philosophies just as it is today in Paul's teaching remember in Timothy someone were teaching that the resurrection already happened and that was messing things up and, and and then we have here in Corinthians some people were teaching no there is no resurrection pretty fun and then in our day we have the same thing by those who mock it like Hitchens and Dawkins and so forth And so the resurrection is central to what we believe as Christians. And without it, we have a dead faith. We're still in our sins. We're still dead. We believe in someone who did not rise from the dead. There is no power. There is no afterlife. There isn't. It's futile. But here's the truth. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been Raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. Yes, church, you should shout amen. 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 Yes, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Church, we have a living faith, a living faith. Muhammad is dead. I know that ruffles some feathers. Yeah, it happens. Buddha or the Buddhas or whatever it is dead. All the religious leaders throughout the age dead. This guy gonna die. There's one who has conquered death and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is alive. It's not based on fictitious stuff. There are facts, there's evidence and people have witnessed it. I mean, I would encourage you to read evidence that demands a verdict a great book to go to, but you know, obviously the Bible too, but (laughs) (laughs) I know I get in trouble. But the idea is there's a guy who's totally convinced that this is all silliness. And he was a reporter and he went out and to prove that it was wrong. And by the end of it, he was saved because the evidence demanded a verdict. Paul was one of over 500 witnesses who witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. Although Paul says he was one abnormally born. In other words, one who saw the Lord risen later, Paul, a vicious persecutor of Christians. We don't realize that he was called Saul. He was the, one of the head guys in Jerusalem and they were viciously attacking and locking up and going jihadi on Christians Vicious stuff, taking people away, killing them, stoning them, locking them away, squashing everything that was Christianity. Paul was at the head of that. He's the one who he's the one who they gave the cloaks to. He was overseeing the stoning of Stephen. And it was that guy who writes most of the new Testament, that guy, what in the world would change him? What in the world would, would do something that would change a guy from being so vicious and attacking to go in the absolute other way to being, to being the object of persecution and suffering and even losing his own life. In the end, we believe because he saw the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, the Lord knocked him off his horse as he has done with us. Although we might not see the Lord, his life was changed. One of them, Jesus is alive. Paul says he is, he has been raised from the dead. He's alive. And God took Paul and he sent him out to be his witness. That's what an apostle is. There's a lot of people saying they're apostles, but in the truest sense of an apostle, they had to see Christ. They had to be alongside of him and his ministry and all these things. There's a bunch of things there. So Paul was an apostle. He was a witness of Christ Jesus. You see, Believers believe that Jesus not only died to pay the price of our sin before God, but then he rose again on the third day, just as he said he would, because we can say all kinds of things. I'm this, I'm that, whatever. But if you sit there and say, I'm going to conquer death. And by the way, it's going to be three days after I die. And that doesn't happen. You've got issues. Everything else you can just throw out the door. When Paul here calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have died, believing in him, what does first fruits mean? First fruits does not mean that Jesus rose from the dead first. That's not what it means. We know in the old Testament, people were raised from the dead. We know Jesus raised people from the dead. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is an image that the Jews would have understood The harvest, it's a harvest image. And what would happen is as the harvest started to come out, the very first fruits would be taken from the harvest brought to the priest and offered to the Lord. And it was a, a gesture an offering of what was to come. It's the first of the harvest that was to come. And in the sense that Jesus is the one who rose again, never to taste death again. He is the first. Notice Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what happened to Lazarus? He died. Same with everybody else that was raised from the dead or will be raised from the dead. We put a lot of emphasis sometimes on miracles and all those things, and they're wonderful. But the most important miracle is that we don't have temporary life. We have eternal life. We are truly raised from the dead. And that only comes through one man. Amen. Sorry, I'm getting into it this Easter, you know, praise the Lord. So it's this image of the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits in that sense that he was the first to rise from the dead. All others died and tasted death. But Jesus is the prototype, so to speak. He is the first, he is preeminent in the resurrection in that we all, who believe will follow in his footsteps. We will follow in his footsteps. And so we have a living hope because our Lord is alive, just as he said it would be. And again, this isn't, if you read the new Testament, you see the different angles on this and you see all the theories. And we see the swoon theory that says, all the disciples hid the body and all this kind of stuff. If you just read the historical account in the scriptures, it goes through all these different things from the guards under the threat of death of execution, guarding the tomb, why in the world would they fall asleep and all this kind of stuff. I'm sorry, I'm going off. I've got, I've got a whole narrative in my mind. I'm telling you a little bit. I realize that anyways, Jesus rose from the dead and we will too. And Paul goes on to explain the significance of Jesus's victory over death. What is he actually What does victory over death mean? Why do we die? How, how come all this happens? And and he explains verse 21 for as by a man came death and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, two men, the story of two men history is the story of two men. Death did not come about through evolution. It came about through a man. Similarly, the resurrection from the dead came through a different man. And this is the imagery that that Paul wants us to understand. Who is the man that brought death? Who's the one who brought death to us all? Verse 22, for as in Adam, all, what? All die. And so also in Christ shall all be made alive. How many of you now without raising your hands, I don't want to know your medical history are concerned about something your parents had genetically that you might get. Everybody's going, oh, great. There's a history of this in my family. Hey, there's a history in our family of death. Did you know that everybody (laughs) just want you to know that's a real big concern. You're concerned about how that happens. God's concerned about it. It's happening. Like it's, it's, it's happening. And it came through one man named Adam. You're like, oh, well, that's not fair. Whatever. But you still sin. It's still something I do. I'm accountable for it, but it's our DNA as people. And don't start looking at other people and go, well, at least I'm not a Hitler. That's a sliding slope. When we stand before a Holy God, he's on the other end, right? But, Death came through one man. In the resurrection comes through one man. Let's get verse twenty-two. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. To be uh, in Adam, this is important. In Adam, in Christ. In Adam, in Christ. You see those two terms. To be in Adam or of Adam, a descendant of Adam, we humans are all descendant of one man, Adam and his wife Eve. And listen, to be physically born in this world is to be of Adam. How many of you chose to be of Adam? Yeah. We share in his lineage, in his lineage. Um, this is the imagery that Paul's giving here. And particularly, The thing that we all have in common with Adam is that we all die because through Adam's sin, through his rebellion, he brought death into the world. And this is because as we read in Genesis three, God told Adam that in the day that you sin and the day you disobey me in this one thing, you can have all the gardens. You can have all the trees. You can pet all the animals. You can go all the places. You can have all this, eat all the food, all this stuff. There's one tree that you may not eat of because the day that you do that, you will die. It is not for you. It is not good for you. And God gave me Adam a choice to love God or not. And he chose to not listen to God. Obviously his wife helped him out on that. And so In that day, Adam died. He died in his relationship with God and the physical followed. And so all who have come from Adam die because we share in his fallen sinful nature. That is the penalty of sin. It is death. God has put that over us. He's not going to let us have everlasting sin. It's not happening. And so all of humanity are in Adam. We are of Adam. We are so concerned about whether people look like and all this kind of stuff and what you look like and all that stuff. Really? You just go down to the heart of a person. And that's truly what matters. We're all of Adam, and We're all in trouble. And it's shown in different ways. I'm not excusing it, but that's the reality of it. And here's the deal. We know the penalty for sin against God is death. He's decreed it. The soul that sin shall die. And then judgment. You must stand and give an account before a Holy God of what that is. And this is the part where people go, I don't like that part of church. I'm not going to listen to that. That's the angry old Testament God. I don't want to listen to him anymore. I want the flannel graph Jesus. I want that happy Jesus that just it says yes to everything. No, God is the same yesterday, today, forever. You look at the father, you look at the son, they are one. And the God is just, and he will not let sin go unpunished. And we need to know that this is the truth from the word of God, but there is another man not from the dust, not from the earth, but from heaven. That's the imagery, a different lineage. He is the son of God, Jesus Christ. And to be in him or of him or in his lineage is to be made alive. Paul says there the opposite of Adam. You, if you're in his lineage, you inherit eternal life. You're in Adam's lineage, which we all are. You inherit death. How in the world can I be of that lineage? Great question. This is what we should all be asking. If I'm on the death team, team death, how do I get on team life? Well, the truth is just as you really didn't have much to do with your natural birth, you certainly don't have anything to do with your spiritual birth. Something has to happen outside of you. It has to come to you it has to make it happen to you. And yet somewhere in there, we also have to receive it. Amen. We have to believe. And so this is what Jesus addresses in John three, flip over to John three, really important. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't worry. I'll spin you around here. How does it happen? Jesus talks about this very thing in John three. How do I get off the team that goes from death to judgment to the team of life and forgiveness, eternal life. John three says, truly he's speaking to Nicodemus who's a religious leader. He says, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is what born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is the same thing. Paul is saying, Nick, you have a problem right? You are of Adam. You are of flesh. You are fallen. You're rebellious. You're sinful in your nature as the world is. And you can't see God who is spirit. You can't see his kingdom being in that state. There has to be a transformation. You have to be conveyed from one kingdom to another. You have to come from death to life. You must be born again, born into Christ. Born into his lineage, born of the spirit, verse four, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born? Natural thing. If you are talking about something that is spiritual, explaining to a bunch of people who only understand Adam language. The only birth that we understand is our natural birth. That's our, our world. And what Jesus is saying is there has to be something. There's something different that's going to happen to you. And, and he just can't get it at the moment. He's going, I can't be born again. How, how does that happen? Physically, <laughs> right? I'm sure they're working on it. But Nicodemus his understanding was limited. He was physical. And that was his view. Jesus wasn't speaking of being born physically, was he? Look at verse five of John three, Jesus answered. Truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the what spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is of flesh is flesh. In other words, that's what of Adam is Adam. And that which is born of the spirit is what is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, what needs to happen to you is impossible, more impossible than you being born again physically. You need to be born again spiritually. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, God is spirit, and those who are of Adam cannot enter it. And so a spiritual birth needs to take place. And this comes not at your ability, you can't do it. It comes from God. Verse eight explains this of John three. It explains this. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Listen, being born of the spirit uh, by God is something that isn't physical. It isn't something you can accomplish or manipulate or control. It's, it isn't something that, that's within our, within our control. It is spiritual. It's like the wind. You see the effects upon someone but you can't see the source of it. I've watched God transform you over the years. I don't see God, but I see the effects of the spirit on your life being changed into the image of Christ. That's a work of God being changed from a Saul to a Paul. Right? And so too is the one who had been born again. God has done something in them and to them. And Jesus goes on to point out that he, he is come from the father. Jesus is God in the flesh. The spirit manifested in the flesh. You, we need to see God. And so Jesus bridged the gap. He became to show us who God is. He is the exact image of God, God in the flesh. He has come to give us his eternal life. That's why he came And what man-made religion is, is a fraudulent attempt to enter God's kingdom by our own means. That's what all the world religions stacked up, no matter how well-intentioned or how nice people are and all the end of things. It's our attempt to be changed by our own means, instead of God doing something to us. Jesus Christ is a religion where God came down to raise us up. Every other religion is our attempt to raise ourselves up to God. And it doesn't work. Just like you can't magically be not of Adam, you can't magically be born again. God has to do something and guess what he does? He does and so Jesus goes on to explain how God gives spiritually dead, edemic people eternal life. Verse 14. This is what he said. And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever, what believes. That's a key word. You want to underline that? Whoever believes in him and who he is and what he did, what he did may have what eternal life for why, why is this the way? Why would God come to the, his enemies? Why would God do this? Why would God offer such a simple solution where it's through faith in Christ, where God stirs you and brings you to the place to to believe and you believe upon him. What happens? What is this? Why is it? Verse 16. Here's God's motive for God. So loved. Put in your name there, put in your name for the world for God. So loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not what perish is that word again, but have what eternal life. Why? Why did God send Jesus for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved we're already condemned. He goes on to say, we're already dead sinners experiencing it. Jesus came to save us. Amen. Out of the horribleness, the man from heaven, God came, became flesh to transform us from being in Adam to being in him. And it comes through childlike faith. This is some God, something God brings us to like the wind. He stirs on your heart. And he's doing it now. And you know you're of Adam, and you know you've got death on the horizon, and you're lost. And, the, and God's Spirit comes to you gently, and He starts speaking to you, and He woos you to His Son. He says, "I died for you. Not only did I die to pay your, sin, your sins, but I rose again to give you new life—a life you do not have in Adam, a life in Me. And it's not temporary." Life like an Adam, it is eternal life. Jesus points to a time in Israel's history there where they were wandering in the wilderness and they began to sin against God. And so God sends a plague of snakes. Great snakes on a plague, a plane, right? Uh, Here it is. And he sends it to judge them. And they were all bitten and poison starts to set in and people start to die. And they start to cry out to God in their In the consequence of what they've done and what happens. God is merciful. He hears them. And he's in the, in, in through Moses, he tells Moses, Moses is what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to lift it up in the midst of all the people and those and tell them that anyone who looks upon this serpent will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the snake bite, same from the poison, same from death. And the image that was done back then is pointing. Jesus says, I'm the snake on the pole. You all have been bitten. Anyone who looks to me to save them, you'll be saved. And see, he was lifted up on a cross. God loves the world. He sent his son, raised him up on a cross to take our sins upon him. To believe upon the Son of God and who he is and what he did, dying for you, rising again, is to be born again. It's amazing. You see, Adam brought death. We've all been stung by sin. But Jesus, the man from heaven, he came to, for, to give us eternal life, to all believe. And he is the first fruits. It says first fruits from the dead, just as sure as he rose from the dead, all who believe in him will follow, will follow. Amen. And Paul back in first Corinthians 15, he elaborates on the glory of that day of our resurrection. I just wanted to give you a taste of this. He keeps on because his point is there isn't, you're saying there is no erection. There is a resurrection and it's going to be glorious. And so let's get to the glorious part, right? He says here, Christ, But each according to his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. When are we going to rise from the dead? At his coming. Key. At his coming. Right? That's important. When are we going to be raised from the dead? Now, I believe as soon as you die, you are present with the Lord. Your spirit is present with the Lord. That's, that's kind of happening. Well, when does the resurrection happen? At his coming. And he describes it in various places. 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18 describes it in part. Check it out. It says, but we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. The term fallen asleep is not for soul sleep. It's a term for Christians who die in the Lord. It's like sleeping. The idea, the effect is it's, it's transitional. And so for this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and left until the coming of the Lord, will not come before will not precede those who have died, who have fallen asleep. Well, how does that work for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. What first? And then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What's so awesome. Is as a believer, if we are here until the Lord's return, he's going to shout. What the very first thing is going to happen is the dead in Christ are going to raise. And the very thing that's going to happen right after that is you are with them to meet the Lord. You're going to meet your loved ones who are in the Lord, very first thing. And then we are going to meet with him. Notice it's in the air. Then we who are alive, verse 17, who are left up will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so. We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So many believe, as I do, that this is speaking of the rapture, but regardless, at Christ's coming for his church, the dead in Christ are raised first, and then we go to the Lord. Then there are those who are alive and remain. What happens to them? They didn't taste death. Well, back in 1 Corinthians 15, Skip down to the end 51. I'm giving, I'm cheating with you. 51. Go to the end there. First Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall what be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last Trump for the Trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And so the dead will rise. And those who remain are changed instantaneously. I'm, look, I, I'm praying for that one. Anyone else? <laughs> Amen. What will our bodies look like? What does that, what does this resurrection look like? So we're all going to be changed and what it's going to be glorious. Am I going to recognize you? Maybe I think we will, but check this out. Just uh, back to first Corinthians, go to verse 35. I know this is, I told you I get you lost, but Paul gives us a cursory understanding of what our resurrected bodies are like. Verse 35, but someone will ask, uh, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You foolish persons. Okay. Sorry, Paul. Apparently he'd had several conversations with them and he, and, and he's telling, I think he's kind of telling them, you all should know this by now. He's encouraging them in what they should know. It wasn't like a, Hey, tell us the resurrection story again, Paul. It was kind of like, we're not paying attention in class type of thing. But, he, but he's gentle and he goes with him again. He says, what you sow, this is important. What you sow does not come to life unless it what? Dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. What Paul wants us to know about the resurrection here is that what goes down is not what is what, what comes up. Anybody who plants things, we well, don't put seeds in the ground and just seeds start gurgling up. Something else comes up. And so you're going to go down. But what's coming up is going to be different. Praise the Lord. And then he goes into an explanation of this different kind of body. And he kind of uses this imagery here. Verse 39 for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another kind for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Uh, and, and, but, the, but the glory of the heavens is one kind. And the glory of the earthly is another. And there is a glory of the sun and a glory of the moon. And and, and, and another glory of the stars for the stars differ from star to star in glory. Paul is making the point that just as there are different kinds of bodies for what lives on earth and what is unseen in the spiritual realm and also just the planets different. He's just saying that there's a variety of different things just so our earthly body is for earth. There's going to be something different for what's coming up ahead. Again, this is just to get us to understand that what is coming is not is what went down on the ground. We think as children of Adam all the time about what our resurrection will be like. And it's just not going to be like that. It's going to be far better. And he goes on to, it's going to be amazing and wonderfully different. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is what perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness and it is raised in power. Are you listening church? The power of the resurrection. This is the promise of God to you. It is yours in Christ. Jesus. Who is the first fruits of yet to come. How many of you are aching this morning? How many are you concerned about your health? How many of you see the cliff is a lot steeper than you thought it was going to be. Anyone else? The physical body we all have is the words of Paul deteriorating. It is perishable. It is becomes dishonorable. It becomes weak. We've seen that firsthand. It's not good. It's heartbreaking. Is it not? But the resurrection is going to be the opposite of that church you are going to be raised imperishable, no expiration date, no decay, no entropy raised with an eternal body. And it's going to be raised glorious, not dishonorable, glorious. The loved ones we see as they start to, go to the end of their lives. It's dishonorable. What is happening to them? We can see the dishonor happening to them. It's we we, we're wrenched over the opposite is going to happen. It's going to be full glory. They're going to be glorious, radiant. And and that's what he says there again. He he says the, we're going to have, we were sown in weakness, but we're going to be raised in power. No weakness in your body. Power. How many of you need some power? How many five hour energy drink? Okay. Whatever. Eternal energy, eternal power. Amen? Amen. Verse 44. We're almost there. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. See the difference. Sown in Adam raised in Christ. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Verse 45. Thus it is written. The, ad, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a life giving spirit. You might be alive, but you don't have a life-giving spirit unless you know Jesus. Here we go. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the, dust of, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And church, we, lest we forget, how many of us are looking forward to the resurrection? Amen. Don't forget the one who's resurrecting you. Although the resurrection is a day appointed by God, don't forget the one who resurrects flip over to John 11 in closing John eleven twenty five. 25. This is the story of Lazarus. I'll paraphrase it real quickly. Remember the words of Jesus, Martha, he's speaking to Martha, uh, Lazarus's sister, and she's grieved over her brother. And she's just like, if you'd he been here earlier, it would have been awesome. But Jesus purposefully didn't come. Remember the words of Jesus speaking there. He said, Jesus told Martha that her older brother would rise again. He says, I says, your brother's going to rise again. And she goes, you know, I know, Lord. I believe you in the last day at the resurrection in the very end. Remember, I know the theology, God, It's going to happen. <sighs> And Jesus looks at her in John eleven twenty five, 25, as she looked to that day and he said to her, hold it there. I am the resurrection and the life. We look to a day. It's a person. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life being in him is to have the resurrection. It is to have eternal life. He not only resurrects you spiritually, he will resurrect you physically. Amazing with whatever type of spiritual body this is. And he goes on with the promise. And here's the promise we leave with whoever believes in me, though he die yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, never die. What he's saying there, he says, you die believing in Jesus. You're going to live. And you lived believing in Jesus. You're going to never truly die right now. Death is just a transition. Oh, death. Where is your sting? We sang it this morning. And he asked her at the end of this verse in verse 26. And I ask you this morning, the Lord, let the Lord's spirit speak to you personally. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the son of God that came down and died for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life? Remember what's the key to transitioning from one to the other? Belief. Do you believe? That's not a man-made work. That's an act of God. It's through faith we are saved. Do you believe in Jesus? the risen savior. If so, all his promises are yours and they are sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for sending your son into this world and having victory over the death that we so deserve and then coming to us in mercy and grace and offering us forgiveness and offering us eternal life. You are so kind to us. You are so good, Lord. And so Lord, we come to you now and we ask Lord that if any heart here would not know you that right now that they would receive you, they would say, I believe they would confess their sins to you. They receive your forgiveness and by your gracious power, you would transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And Lord, we just rejoice in you and we want to live worthy of the calling that we've been given this morning, worthy of the new life you've given us, no longer living after the ways of Adam, but now after Christ. And so by your spirit, lead us and teach us as a church. And it's in your name, we graciously come to you. Amen.